Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Lucy S.R. Austin, on the remarkable life of missionary, author, and public speaker, Elizabeth Elliot. Because Jim died such a short time after they were married, it was kind of her experience of loss and grief uh, that really ended up being a catalyst, I, I think, for change and her, her thinking and the way she approached missions. That's Lucy S.R. Austin, next. As we celebrate our blessings of freedom today as a country and as individuals, it's also an excellent time to reflect on what it means to be free in Christ. Before we get to today's main discussion, our first guest is Emerson Collins. He's project manager for Bring Your Bible to School Day with Focus on the Family. Emerson, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 says in part, For freedom Christ has set us free. So, what does it mean to be free in Christ? Uh, well, first and foremost, I just want to say we should all appreciate the freedoms we have in this country on 4th of July, but I encourage families to maybe take a second, put the hot dog down, and consider the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ, which is now where we're getting at with Galatians 5.1. Well, Paul spent a majority of that letter in Galatians 5 explaining the relationship between us and the law and how we were bound under the law because of our sin, which results in death and condemnation. So this freedom in Christ that we experience is freedom from the consequences of sin and of death because Jesus rose again and because we are now adopted as sons and daughters of him. And in the next part of that verse, Galatians 5, 1, he says, stand therefore and do not return again to a yoke of slavery. So in this freedom now, we can stand in in it and we can resist the temptations of the sin that we had previously been bound underneath. So that freedom in Christ obviously is for those that believe in Christ. Yes, exactly. So you have been set free from the bondage of sin and of death. So the encouragement now is to walk in obedience and in worship and in gratitude to your Savior. And that you can do that on many, many days other than just on the 4th of July. Well, you said to be free in Christ means to be free from the consequences of sin. What are some of those consequences? Yeah, so sin is, is, is binding in nature, but the consequences of that sin can look like many different things. Firstly, it's separation from God. And that, guys, we worship a holy God, and sin is, is abhorrent to him. And so the consequences of our sin means separation from that holy God. But because of Jesus Christ, because his blood covers your sin as a believer, you now can walk in the freedom of knowing your heavenly Father and knowing him personally as a son or daughter. Well, Emerson, anything else you would add about being free in Christ on this 4th of July as we are celebrating the freedoms of living in this country? Yeah, well, I think we should share this freedom that we have. We're so blessed to live in a country where we have the religious freedoms and the, this, the freedom of speech to share this message with other people who don't have this freedom in Christ. So my encouragement to you is to stand boldly, to stand firm in this freedom that you have and to share it with those who don't yet have it. That was Emerson Collins, Project Manager for Bring Your Bible to School Day with Focus on the Family. 
Late missionary Elizabeth Elliott's inspiring writing and speaking have impacted thousands around the world. Kimberly Birchall is with Lucy S.R. Austin to talk about her new biography, Elizabeth Elliott, A Life. Lucy, how did you come to write an in-depth biography about Elizabeth Elliott? Well, I, um, I was working on another project, which was actually a uh, homeschool textbook for high school students. And students would read eight different authors. They'd read a little mini biography. They'd read a piece of that author's work. They would read a lesson based on that work, and then they would have writing assignments. And at the time, my practice was to check out, you know, several biographies on each author from the library, read them, kind of get the big picture of their life, and then write my little mini biography. And when I went to do that for Elizabeth Elliot, there wasn't even one uh, existing uh, biography of her for adults. And so... I had to to go right to source material to write about her. And in that process, I got I became very interested in her life and and some of the puzzles and things that I was finding in my research. And so then when my initial project was finished, um, I just kept kind of thinking about her and her life. Um, And eventually my mother said, well, you should write a biography uh, of her. And I had, at that point, two little kids, and I was homeschooling, and we were moving every six months to a year for my husband's job. And I thought, there is no way. (laughs) Maybe when the kids are grown. And then a while after that, I woke up in the middle of the night one night, and my brain was, was plotting an outline for a biography of Elizabeth Elliot. This has been something you've been working on for quite a while then. Yeah, it's been more than a decade at this point in the making. So, Well, for the listener who may not be familiar with her, who was Elizabeth Elliot? Elizabeth Elliot was a, she was a writer and a speaker. And prior to that, she was a foreign missionary. And she kind of came to prominence or, or fame because in her 20s, her husband was killed on the mission field in an attempt to make contact with a, a group of people called the Weirani, who were uh, very intentionally uh, isolated uh, in their home in rural Ecuador. And so when her husband was killed, there was a lot of international interest in the story, and she ended up kind of writing for all of the families represented in a book about the five men who had gone in together in this contact attempt and been killed. And then a couple of years after that, she ended up having the opportunity to go in and live with that people group who had originally had killed her husband. And and she wrote another book about that. Uh, And so that's kind of how she, telling that story is how she kind of came to be well-known, and then her career as a writer and a speaker uh, grew from that. How big of an impact did her marriage to Jim Elliott have on who Elizabeth Elliott became? Well, I mean, I think it had a big impact on who she became. I mean, obviously, she, you know, she loved him very much, and I think she missed him in some ways for the rest of her life. Although, you know, she she remarried and, and had, you know, uh, great affection for her other husband. But her 
I would say in a sense, because Jim died such a short time after they were married, it was kind of her experience of loss and grief uh, that really ended up being a catalyst, I, I think, for change and her her thinking and the way she approached missions after that. And and that played out, I mean, through the whole rest of her life. So yeah, I mean, it was, there was a great influence. Uh, obviously, she went on to have a long, long life after he died. And they had one child together, is that right? And is their daughter still alive? Yes. Yeah, one child, Valerie. And she is indeed still alive. What was your approach in writing this book to set it apart from other works that tell of her story? Yeah, so so when I started writing this, there was a children's biography of her, which, you know, was geared toward a younger audience and then mostly dealt with the time in her life while she was in Ecuador. So it didn't it minored on kind of her childhood and and brushed lightly over kind of the rest of her life, but was primarily focused on her story in Ecuador. So what I set out to do was originally to be able to tell the whole story and to be able to kind of give the attention to the other parts of her life that had been given to her life in Ecuador, because that part of her story gets told over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. um, And people may not be deeply familiar with all the details, but a lot of people are, are very familiar with kind of the basic outline of that story. And so I was I was wanting to tell the rest of her story and then also specifically to to look at her writing and her speaking and and what she taught and kind of integrate that into the story of kind of the events of her life because for a writer so much of what's going on internally comes out in your writing so mm-hmm. yeah yeah, good. What sources did you use for your research? So I had a wonderful access to a to a rich set of sources because she donated um, a few times over the years. She donated papers to the Billy Graham Center archives at Wheaton College in in Illinois, and and that was just reams and reams and reams of her family letters over the years. Um, she, her her family of origin scattered pretty widely. She was one of six kids, and they all wrote home to their parents weekly or biweekly. And then those letters were their mother copied them and sent them around to all the siblings so that everybody was in touch. And they did that for decades. And so there was this just raft of letters in her communicating with her family over the years. She was a a regular journal keeper uh, her whole life. And so there was uh, access to parts of her journals. I, you know, looked carefully at her own published work because she, a lot of her writing was autobiographical um, in nature. Mm. Um, And then I conducted a lot of interviews. So when I very first started the project, that was actually a lot of what I did at first before I started writing was find people who had known her and and were interested in talking with me and uh, and do a lot of interviews with family and friends and acquaintances and people who had worked with her and so on. 
That is fascinating, the letter part in their family. What fascinates you most about Elizabeth Elliot? I think one of the things is just, I mean, what got me interested in in finding out more about her was things um, about her life didn't always fit in kind of the the categories that we often think of people as as fitting into. And so, you know, one thing she would do or say would fit in one category, but then she would do or say something that was in a completely different category. And so I was intrigued by that kind of complexity. And and I think in the process of of learning more about her life, that just continued. She was a very thoughtful, well-read, intelligent uh, person and she continued to learn and grow over the whole course of her life. Mm. It wasn't like she got to adulthood and picked her set of opinions on things and stayed there. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I found that that complexity and that richness was very interesting and worthwhile. Can you give us an example of just one of those contradictions that comes to your mind? Well, this is kind of a funny one, but it's one of the first ones that got my attention because I had read her book, Passion and Purity, back when I was in high school. I think my, my parents gave it to me. And uh, and then uh, in doing my initial research on her, I found an interview that she had done with an author in the 70s where she was saying that, you know, polygamy was not something that missionaries should just march into a, a people group and and prescribe. Uh, and so that was, you know, those two things didn't fit in the same box in my mind for the author of Passion and Purity to be saying that there were circumstances under which, uh, you know, the church could accept cultural polygamy. Uh, you know, that's just very interesting. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Yes. In your opinion, what are the greatest lessons we can learn from Elizabeth Elliot's life? Seeing her journey over the course of her life and seeing her change her mind about things over time. And and it sometimes it wasn't even that she started at one position and gradually moved to another position or, or kept moving in one direction her whole life. It was that she would start at position A and then she would shift to position B and then later she would shift back to position A. It, you know, it was a, a journey with zigs and zags and ups and downs and forwards and backs. And and so it's hard to say, well, Elizabeth Elliot thought X because at different ages, Elizabeth Elliot thought several different things, you know, on a variety of topics. That sounds like that would humanize her to us. Yes. And I think one thing it really emphasized for me is just how reliant we all are on the grace of God. You know, we're not going to get it all right all our lives long, no matter how hard we try. I mean, she was very thoughtful. She was soaked in the scriptures and and doing her best to understand them and and do the will of God. And yet she wasn't in the same place on various issues at different times. 
And so sometimes, you know, she was wrong. Uh, and and we don't necessarily know where those places are. And I don't even know if she necessarily knew where those places were. But God is big enough to, to hold all of those parts of her life uh, and to keep his promise to work all things together for good uh, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I'm speaking with Lucy S.R. Austin about her biography of Elizabeth Elliot. Lucy is an author and editor whose work has appeared in Christianity Today, the Gospel Coalition, and many others. Lucy, I understand, and we talked about that Elizabeth Elliot wrote to her family members and friends quite often, and she journaled regularly. Are those letters and journals available to the public? So the letters are anybody who you know wants to contact the archives at the Billy Graham Center and go in and uh, look at them can. The journals, some some photographs of some of her journals are available to view in the archives. The journals themselves are still, you know, understandably in the the holding of her family. One description of your book says it tells the complex and moving life story of one of the most well-known Christian missionaries. We've talked about it a little, but give us a better sense of what makes Elizabeth Elliot's life complex, and what do you see as possibly some of those contradictions you mentioned in her life? Well, um, I think one thing that makes it complex is maybe some differences between kind of how her public story has often been seen and how she experienced her life. So through her book, Through Gates of Splendor, which told the story of kind of the life and death of her husband and the four other men who he was with when they were killed, that story kind of has become the quintessential our 20th century missionary story. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's used a lot in sermon illustrations uh, and it's it's held up as a, as a great example. And a lot of that is due to how she wrote the book. But she wrote that book uh, less than a year after she lost her husband. And it would, I think, based on how she changed then in the, in the months and years after that, I think it might have been quite a different book if she had written it farther into her grief process. And so um, she didn't necessarily have the same kind of triumphal view that felt like there were answers as to why the men had been killed later on in her life. And so there's complexity there as far as kind of the public presentation of her story and then her personal experience So that's one example. On a personal level, what do you find to be the most compelling part of her story? I think her confidence in and and her decision to put her confidence in and to trust in the character and the goodness of God, regardless of her circumstances. There's a a wonderful quotation in one of her letters that she wrote to her parents and Jim's parents after he had been killed and before, right before she was going to go and take their little girl and go live with the tribe, uh, the people who had killed him. And she 
told her parents and her parents-in-law, you're just going to have to start trusting God for me, not trusting him that I'll live and not trusting him that everything will be fine, but trusting him. And I think that was the foundation of the rest of her life was trusting in the character and the love of God, no matter what things looked like. And what a great lesson that is for all of us to take. How does knowing more about Elizabeth's life and ministry move you to share the gospel and live the gospel more fully? Well, I, th- I think that it helps me to kind of relax into the care of God, you know, to, to see that with all the ups and downs and the successes and the failures and the things she got right and the things she got wrong, that her life is still in the Lord's hands. I think that helps me to rest in that in my own life. And then I hope in turn to offer that to the people that I live with and the people that I meet. Give us an idea of some of the things that she got right, as opposed to some of the things she got wrong. I don't know if I can answer that question. I think, I mean, I think part of what I came to the conclusion of as I was working on the book was that we don't always have a far enough view in our own lifetimes to be able to tease that out. I mean, we can educate ourselves as best we can, and we can do our best to be obedient and faithful to what we see. But I don't know that we can always tell what we're getting right. Part of Paul's in 1 Corinthians, when he talks about being able to speak with the tongues of men and angels or sell all you have and give your body to the flames. But if you don't have love, it doesn't amount to much. What do you hope the reader will take away from your book? I would love for readers to to take away that complexity in her life. Once she had come to a, a position or a conclusion on something, I think she could come across as quite dogmatic in the way that she presented it. And and I think sometimes she could be quite dogmatic uh, about things once she had reached a decision. But I hope the book shows that the process of getting to those positions was often, you know, in, internally for her fraught with uh, doubt and self-questioning and was quite a difficult and tentative process. And so I think, you know, being able to see her as a complicated human being, I I hope that that gives all of us grace to be on a journey of growth in our walk with the Lord and in decision making in our lives in general. So to be able to see that complexity and give her some space to be human Mm. and in doing that, give ourselves space to be human uh, and then resting in the character of God and God's love for us. Why do you feel it's important for us to know and share the stories of Christians that have gone before us? But I think it's that same that same thing. I mean, I think in seeing how other people have tried to walk with the Lord and have not always gotten it right, 
I mean, I think that both encourages us to keep trying to figure out what it means to walk with the Lord and and do that. But also, it really, I think it can really help give historical perspective so that we can kind of rightly see our place in history and understand that smallness uh, that I was talking about and, and then give each other grace and room to grow uh, and not expect ourselves or other people to already have everything perfectly figured out. How can this book be a help to students? I hope that it will be helpful because it it does give a more in-depth exploration of her life than we often have time for, kind of in the sound bites and sermon illustrations that we talk about it in. Um, and also, the, the book tries to look at kind of the... Virginia Woolf talked about biography as being a depiction of of the the fish in its stream, mm. um, and and so this book tries to look not just at the fish, uh, but also the stream that she swam in and the the cultural influences, um, both in American culture as a whole and in the evangelical church of her day, and so I hope kind of setting her life and the story of her life in the bigger picture of the world around her will kind of help would help students make connections and kind of understand it in the bigger historical picture. The title of the book. How did you choose the title? Elizabeth Elliot, A Life. Well, in in Great Britain, uh, they tend, I think, to call we call it biography and they call it life writing. Okay. And, and that way of thinking about it, you know, has kind of captured my imagination. So I wanted to include that uh, in the title. And, and I fiddled around with, you know, several variations. Uh, and the publisher actually suggested this, this slightly simpler version. And I really loved it because I felt like it was very simple and elegant, just like her, but also... You know, she was more than a missionary story. She was more than a writer or a public speaker who could sometimes, you know, get into kind of controversial waters. She was the whole person. And and she was a little girl uh, whose brothers wouldn't play with her. And she was a teenager who was uh, embarrassed because she felt like she was too tall and she was a stylish young woman uh, who, you know, always had her skirts perfectly ironed, even in the jungles of Ecuador. And she, she was a mother, and she was a friend, and she had a great sense of humor, and she loved dogs, and and she was a whole life. And I hope that this book tells uh, that story. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guests. Focus on the families Emerson Collins and Lucy S.R. Austin, author of Elizabeth Elliot, A Life. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's Jake Meter encouraging us to look at life from a biblical instead of a cultural lens. So what really seems to be going on is there's all of these kind of lifestyle markers and lifestyle choices that are seen as just essential 
to human flourishing in America. And we're pursuing those first. And once all of that is secure, whatever we have left is what we're able to give to the Christian life. That's tomorrow at the same time, right here on His People. Thanks for listening.